ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rancid Taco Movie Review Podcast. I'm here with the Galadriel to my Sauron, Mason Weir. Hey, how's it going, Sauron? Sauron, Galadriel. Tonight, we are going to review episode six of The Rings of Power, titled Udun. No, it's non-plot is what they're saying. We will, we will rock you. Non-plot. Non-plot. Do you know what non-plot means? No, I was going to ask you that. It means death. Does it? Nice. Well, I I was going to ask you also, do you know what Udun means? Udun is like uh, the... I mean, I'm, I don't know specific. I didn't look it up, but I know Dark Flame of Udun. So Udun is like Satan or the dark, the darkness. darkness. Yeah, yeah, darkness, I think, or evil. Yeah. I actually don't have it pulled up, but I'm pretty sure that's what it means. Yeah. So that means we have an evil episode on our hands tonight here. And let's go ahead and get right into it because we get an evil looking claw digging into the dirt. And we see that it is Adar. Yes. Wait, and also we are re- reviewing Rings of Power episode six. Or did you say that already? I said that. Yes. Yeah, Thank it's you. Called, it's called Udun. Thank you for hearing that <laughs> when I said that just now. Did you say six? I did say episode six and the title and everything. We're ready to go. We are. Well, let's get I, started. With I'm ready evil, to go. Let's clarify. Let's get that. started with this evil claw digging into the dirt. There it is. Is this evil claw <laughs> digging, or no. is it plant? Is it planting? It's planting. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit later on. But it is Adar's clawed hand. He's digging up the dirt, and he's giving a rousing battle speech to the orcs and the evil Southlanders that have joined the orcs' cause. Yeah, and he's telling them, well, no longer do we have to live as the cast-out, horrible freaks of the world of Middle-earth. Now we can live as brothers. Adar actually does a really good job with this. You, you feel some sympathy through the orcs. Love Adar. Adar's, Adar's maybe my favorite character thus far. He is good. And he's leading the orcs as they march on the watchtower, where we think the remaining Southlanders are defending. But when they get there, it's completely empty except for Arondir. Yes, that sneaky little elf. And Arondir channels his inner Kevin McAllister. And he home alones the shit out of these orcs. I must defend my home. Awesome, right? He, he pulls out the bow, he shoots a couple, and then he shoots this rope that's holding the top of the tower together. And it crashes down on all the orcs, it looks like, including Adar and Waldrig. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it lands full force on Adar and... Uh, what's his name? Waldrick? Waldrick, yeah. the barkeep yeah. guy. It looks like it, it lands full force on him, but um, that doesn't end up being the case. But it definitely takes out a good portion of orcs, I feel like. Yeah, I was wondering when I watched it the first time if Adar was pulling Waldrick in front of him as a shield or if he was saving Waldrick. I think, obviously, he was saving him, but I don't see how. No, I thought he was pulling him in front as a shield. <laughs> I, I kind of did, too, at first, but then we see them both alive later, so obviously yeah. that's, that's not the case. Interesting that Waldrig is the commander now, seemingly, like the right-hand man of Adar. I guess the sacrifice of that kid last week really did the trick. 
Well, that would. I mean, he he proved his he proved his um, worthiness or his how he's down. He's down for the cause. So the Southlanders celebrate the downfall of a large portion of the Orcish army, and we'll leave that storyline for now and take a break to go to Isildur, who is talking to his horse. They named the horse several times. His name is Barak. How important is this horse going to end up being in the story, you think? Not very, I don't think. Of horses, I mean, he'll be the most important. <laughs> of horses, he'll be the most important uh, to the story, I feel like. But I, 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 the most disturbing part of this whole scene is him sharing the apple with the horse. What's so wrong about that? Well, would you do that? Yeah, you have to form an emotional connection with the horse. No, 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 no. You personally, Mason Weir, would you take a bite of an apple? Give a bite to a horse and then also eat off of that bit and apple that the horse just ate. Yes. If it was my horse, my pet horse. Yes. Liar. Are you kidding me? I've got kids, man. I'm swimming in shit all the time. I would eat <laughs> I eat stuff off the floor. I eat old leftovers. Come on. I of course I would eat that. All right, well. You're, you're better man. You're, you're, you're referring you're... to the liver that that I said I wouldn't eat from uh, the revenant, and I still wouldn't eat that. Because that's no, disgusting. That's, that's different. This is just eating after uh, an animal that's like horses. Their mouths look disgusting. Yeah, but they're really smart, and you got to show that you love them, so you share food with them. Okay. Isildur is right to do this, is what I'm saying. Well, maybe he's right. Maybe, uh, maybe I mean, like, health-wise, I don't know. It's just <laughs> a good idea. Well, he's a Numenorean. He's not going to get sick. Yeah, he's all right. He's got, if he gets sick, he's got a little bit of an everlasting, long, longer-lasting life than most anyway, so. And speaking of longer-lasting life, he runs into, as Ildor does, the only elf on the ship, and that is Galadriel. He sees her up on the deck. They have a little heart-to-heart talk, and they form a mild bond. I kind of zoned out here. I didn't really care. It was whatever. I mean, it was it was a little bit softer side of Galadriel, which was cool to see. It almost seemed for a second like she was kind of caring, but at the same time, I, I not really. I don't know. Well, Elendil doesn't really care either, the father of Isildur. And he, oh, send, yeah. he sends him away, and he gets a moment with Galadriel. And here we learn what happened to the wife of Elendil, and that is that she drowned, apparently. Yeah, I don't remember uh, any actual backstory to Elendil's wife, but I, do, you, I do you? No, I don't either. I don't recall any specific story about it, but uh, it'd be interesting. Hey, not something Tolkien doesn't mention a lot of wives unless they have some specific point in this in the story well let's uh, not dwell on that things that we can't remember there'll be plenty of that in the review here yeah or things that pertain nothing to the show i guess we just have to talk about something because i didn't care too much about this reveal i feel like all this numenor stuff will will really matter a lot more later on but for now i want to get back to the battle you know well, yeah, she's like, uh, you look like your, you, I should have known it was you. You look like your father. And I'm thinking it's because they both have long hair, maybe, but they don't look anything alike. No, Zildor is kind of a, like the dwarf to Lindil's elf. You know, he's kind of stunted and gross looking compared to a Lindil. Well, he just looks like a, he looks like a teenager and they have like different, I mean, they're, they just look different. They look very, they look like two different people. They don't look at all alike. Well, that aside, Galadriel, Elendil, and the rest of the Numenorians hasten toward land. And we'll leave them there as we go back to the Southlands, where Arondir is hammering away 
at the evil sword hilt. He's not able to break it. Kind of a dumb plan here. An elf should know you're not going to be able to break this thing, right? Well, you don't know until you check. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a callback for another thing that we know about that Sauron created that uh, was indestructible, and that's the ring, the one ring. So he says something to the effect of this is beyond any of our abilities to destroy so it kind of throw it's like a little throwback to the ring being indestructible indestructible yeah and so because it can't be destroyed he decides to hide the ring instead and he mentions to bronwyn that he won't even tell her where it's at so it's supposed to be this ultimate secret but later on someone knows where it's at <laughs> yeah he's like not even it's a secret too dear to know not even you can know but your son i'm gonna <laughs> let him know yeah, Theo knows where it's at later on. We'll get to that part later, but they don't explain that, I don't think. Nope. Anyway, Arondir is preparing for battle. He gives a great speech. The Southlanders are kind of lukewarm on it. He says, we're going to last through the night if you believe we can. Do you believe it? And they all say, nah, I don't know. Uh, but then do you gives, believe it? He gives the Obama fist pump when he does it, too. Did you notice that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I didn't notice the, that, but I did notice the second take on it. Yeah, check out that right hand whenever he gives it. It's really just subtly inspiring, and it works, too. The, the Southlander's like, yeah, hell yeah. Oh, oh, all right. Well, yeah, he just wants us to say it again louder. But then Bronwyn brings us back down to Earth when she very cheesily says, to your positions. Yeah, everything she does is kind of cheesy, I think. I hated that delivery. For some reason, it really stuck in my mind as being horrible. Like everything she's, she, to me is just over the, over the top and over emotional with everything she says and does almost similar to Gladriel. It's like, um, just, uh, just like, that's a command. Just yell it as a commander, not as somebody who's like tied every single emotion in your body to that one line. Yeah. She's, she is a lot like Galadriel. Though, to be fair, she was the first person that was on the orcs being there, and no one else believed her. So she, we wondered before why she had become the de facto leader, and I think we were overlooking that. Well, I don't trust her. She tried to uh, turn over and be like, hey, maybe we should go over to those guys. What episode ago was it, right? She only said that to a Ron deer. She didn't say that to everybody. Everybody could hear. They were all within earshot. Well, I guess they didn't hear because she's still the right-hand man. Uh, woman of Arondir. Yeah, I mean, she is, but it's like she's wishy-washy to me. Well, she does decide to send her son, Theo, to go guard the women and children. The classic excuse. I see this so many times in these medieval-type movies where they send a kid to go guard the other women and children, and they tell them, you're the best person we could have in there, and the kid totally buys it. What a played-out trope this is. Yeah, it's getting pretty old. And also... I mean, they need all the soldiers they can get, and Theo does actually prove to be kind of a mildly badass. Well, when he has the sword injected into his arm. Yeah, he already had the evil sword in his arm. Like, he's, what do you say, 15, 16, 17? 15, yeah, no older than 15. 15 years old? Give that kid a sword and let him cut some orc head off. Well, that's his mother, though. Mama's going to keep him safe as she can. Yeah, she's babying him. So I know we've kind of railed on this episode already a little bit, but I actually enjoyed a lot of this episode. But the next scene is one that I hated the most, and it's a Ron Deere. He gives a, what 
it's supposed to be a touching talk with Bronwyn professing his love for her. But the dialogue he uses here to me says that he knows nothing about his real history and nothing about the gods of the world. When he says, uh, one of the Valar, <laughs> what was it he said? One of the Valar. No, no. I mean, I, to me, it was obvious that they couldn't say the actual name of the Valar. So he says, it is believed that one of the Valar protect plants and, and trees and things like that. So obviously they couldn't name the Valar because it's, it's not in the Lord of the Rings and it's not in the Silmarillion. Do you know which Valar it is? Yavanna? Yeah, yeah. So Yavanna is the protector of plants and trees and earth. And she created the two trees of Valinor. That's what yeah. he's trying to talk about is the relationship that Bronwyn should have with him in, in terms of how it relates to this god. But without being able to name Yavanna, it just comes across as weird to me. Mm, I mean, it's it's the only nod they could give to the actual Tolkien lorists, I think, in that situation. With And they obviously legally couldn't say the name or they would. So you're all right with it, I guess. It, this scene didn't bother you like it bothered me. I mean, it, it didn't bother me, but at the same time, it's just like, Ah man, come on! I, I wanted, I yeah, I got. We need that. That's that's the stuff. That's the the meat. Yeah. If you're gonna make a passing reference, don't vaguely allude to something that should yeah. be of the ultimate importance to this elf. I would. Yeah, think. like he's like, oh, it's one of the gods. I forget their name though. <laughs> no, you yeah. wouldn't. It would be like if you went to church every Sunday, like a Christian church, and you're like, uh, yeah. God had a son. I don't remember his name, but yeah. he died for everyone's sins. Uh, he, yeah, they, they used to talk about this guy. He had long hair and sandals, and he went around. And he saved the world. So I can't remember his name. But Water into wine. He's a great guy. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. He's pretty important, though. I think he died for our sins. I think a Rondier probably got a C or worse in elf school. <laughs> yeah, that's why he got stationed at the Southlands. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they were like, here you go, dummy. You don't have to think of doing this job. Well, the real point of the scene is not to vaguely reference the Valar, but it is instead to talk about these Alpharin seeds, which Arondir says that elves before battle plant these seeds so that life can always grow even after death. And now we can say what Adar was doing in the opening scene. He also was doing this elven ritual and planting seeds before the orcs went to battle. Yeah, and they call them Alphen, Alpharin seeds. Alpharin, Alpharin, yeah. And so they call it. They call. I've never heard of that. Uh, I don't know if it's in the Tolkien lore, but um, I, I thought it was a pretty interesting little tradition they had going there. They just, I mean, introduce it all in this episode, and there's no backstory to it, which is pretty common for what's going on here with this. But you know, it's cool. Whatever you plant, something new life, old life. I get it. Very metaphorical. Yep. And he vows to start a new life with Bronwyn and with Theo after the battle. And you can just tell when you're watching this, this is not going to end well. Whether it's this episode or this season or next season, it's not going to end well here with these two. Well, they just seem like a ragtag bunch, too. Like the whole plan of Southlanders are like, why are we fighting so hard to save this group of backward yokels? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give them to Sauron. Let's just give them to Sauron, retreat, and let them be idiots with Sauron. Well, that makes me like Arondir more. The fact that he's fighting for these people and he's standing alone. You know, no other elves are there with him. Arondir's growing on me, I'll say. Uh, I don't dislike Arondir's character, but um, I find myself less and less 
um, enamored by this actor's performance. It's pretty wooden. It's very Legolas. Yeah. But I think that's what they're going for with this. Wooden. Wooden's a good way to describe it. He's as stiff as the wooden chest plate that he wears. Well, speaking of stiff, I'm getting a little stiff thinking about. <laughs> Go on. The battle that's coming up soon. <laughs> oh yeah. And here is the calm before the storm. I always love these scenes in movies and TV shows when it's right before the battle and you kind of get the sense that all the soldiers are getting the defenders and the attackers. It is the deep breath before the plunge. Yeah, very cool here. You, you get the vibe here when you're watching it, or I did at least, of a big battle coming up. And you see just a small light appearing over the hillside. We're looking at it from the viewpoint of the defenders. And then a bunch of lights start appearing, and you know that the orc army has arrived. Yeah, they're on their way, and that is kind of exciting, them setting everything up, getting everything ready. So we know that they're prepared to fight. We don't know how many elves are showing up, or how many orcs are showing up. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, orcs. No, sorry, they're orcs. Yeah, Yeah, they're orcs. The Southlanders didn't seem that prepared to fight, though, because right away, Bronwyn and a friend are standing there. They've got some trap set involving these uh, carts. But right away, the friend of Bronwyn just gets murdered by an orc assassin. Like, how do they not see this guy? That's all on Bronwyn. Bronwyn doesn't know how to start a fucking flint and fire on there. Yeah, she was a little, little slow on the drop, gets her friend killed. But Bronwyn then kills a couple of orcs. So she's establishing herself as a pretty good fighter here, Bronwyn. Yeah, she she fights back and gives the orc one right back, slices his throat in turn. They uses his torch to set the the cart on fire and push it towards the orcs, and they and she pushes it behind them, and they're all like, "Oh, she's these idiots missed us!" Ha ha ha! And then it burns something, and everything goes up in flames behind them, so they're kind of trapped in there. Well, a second cart comes and hits that guy that said that, but yeah, the the uh, flaming cart trick. Looks like it mildly worked. It looks like it killed quite a few orcs there. Well, the first one, I think, is meant to trap them. So it gets a fire behind them, so they're across the bridge, and they're now trapped. And then the front the front cart hits and traps them in the front, so now they're surrounded in fire. Now you've got all these archers on the roofs just picking them off. Yep, including a Rondir who's up there. And he's really putting in work with the bow there for a while. Pretty creative battle strategy. I liked it. Yeah, I like the strategy. And for the part of the Southlanders that aren't Bronwyn or Rondir, I found it almost strange how well they were fighting in this battle. You see one guy with a a two-handed spear just laying into this orc and killing him. And I thought that was maybe a little unrealistic, but we'll later see that there's a reason for that. Okay. Uh, You don't remember that? I don't know what you're alluding to. Well, it's coming right up here in a minute. But before we get to that part, we have a nice MMA-style brawl between a Rondir and a Berserker Orc. Would you like for making Buck Berserker? How do you like to suck my cock, Berserker? Yeah, that that guy's a hoss. Yeah, he is. I loved the fight in execution because it was cool. It was really cool to watch, but I hated the concept of of the only elf taking the time to fight one singular orc for one thing almost any elf worth his salt would easily kill one orc and for two that's not part of the battle strategy for your best fighter to get tied up in a fight to the death with this guy yeah i don't think he means to get tied up with them but also 
this is no ordinary orc. This is a super shredder orc. This guy's like three times the size of most all the other orcs. He's big, we, but they didn't establish him as like being this great warrior. He's just big. No, he's just huge. He's huge and powerful. And that's to me like we got to get to the bottom of how did this orc get so big? Yeah, he must have been bred different or fed different. Yeah, because every other orc is kind of short and squat and not that powerful, but malicious nonetheless. This guy is an absolute hoss, and it looks like he looks like Kevin Nash coming through, like in the the Diesel song is playing, and then throws him through a brick wall. Oh yeah, he actually kicks a Rondier's ass. Oh yeah, pretty, Arond- pretty solidly. Arondir gets his pointy elf ears handed to him right here. As the, as the big elf just slams him around and treats him like his little bitch. You can pinpoint a Ron Deer's mistake because he stabs him in the foot. He stabs him in the eye. But then when he jumps on his back and goes for the rear naked choke, huge mistake. You've got the guy blinded. Just finish him there. That's well, where a Ron Deer gets in trouble. He literally gets one move on him, basically. He does like a roundhouse spin kick that looks like some Brazilian. It looks like, uh, what's the character from Street Fighter? Um the green guy from Street uh, Fighter. Yeah. Bur, 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 B something. But now nah, that's from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, fuck. I don't know. God damn it. You. That's not. Don't Swayze that. Don't you dare Swayze. Nah, I'm guy. not going to Swayze. I could Swayze it if you want me to. I feel like you already are. We should know it, though. Um, it's like. Blanca. 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 Yes. Blanca. So, so he does like a hunched over spin roundhouse kick like he's Blanca or something. And then the other guy just, he takes it, the big orc takes it and just immediately bear hugs him. And after that, it's just like, he's, he's whipping him around like it was a little rag doll. Yeah. Well, Rondier gets that stab into the eye, but instead of dying there, the orc just bleeds kind of uh, grotesquely all over a Rondier's face. This is a really intense and crazy scene here. Mm. Pretty disgusting, yeah. Very disgusting. And I want to just take one minute to say, by the way, we've railed, you and I off the air, we've railed the Hobbit movies for the CGI orcs. And these orcs, not only are they beautiful to look at in terms of like the costumes and stuff, but they're all individuals too. If you pay attention yeah. to all these other episodes, they have the same orcs in scenes in the background. Yeah, I, I, uh, I like the difference in the orcs. And even like... The one issue I had with CGI in this one was the blood dripping out of his eye looks pretty fake. It was noticeably CGI, yeah. Noticeably CGI at points, but then it was also also noticeably not CGI at other points. So uh, that was the only bad CGI I, I noticed. But yes, I do agree. They're very individual, and I, I like that a lot about them. So that's just a side note. For the conclusion of the fight, a Ron Deere is pressed down the orc has the knife right to his eye and i also didn't like this i would have liked to see a rondier save himself and kill this orc but instead he is saved by someone else in which case this is a Ron, um Bron- Bron, uh, not Brown, not Brown, <laughs> not borrowing not Brown, but Bronwyn. Bronwyn, yeah Bronwyn saves him and now their bond is even thicker i felt like they were trying to reenact the aragorn versus lurt scene kind of put their own spin on it with this fight. It was a very personal, up-close, drag-out brawl kind of. Mm, that's very possible. I feel like they they do a, a lot of Peter Jackson homage throughout these, this thing so far. But with this death of the Berserker Orc, 
the other Southlanders had finished off the attacking army, and it looks like the Southlanders are victorious. Yay, they won! But we both know they're only halfway there. Yeah. We'll get to the rest after a break. Uh. <laughs> what? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Skyler from the Rancid Taco Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to send us an email at rancidtacopodcast at gmail.com or check out our Twitter handle at rancidmovie. And if you've been listening to us for this long, there's one thing you're certain of by now, and that's that we don't know dick about anything that we're doing. Please feel free to enlighten us, send us some feedback, tag us in an article that proves all of our points wrong. At this point, we don't care. Just show us you're listening. We want to know if you're out there. Please say hello to us. Ask us how our day is going. Anything, really. So we mentioned that the Southlanders had seemingly won the battle, but what was the cost here? That's what we're going to find out now. As a Rondier removes the helmet, he notices the blood is red and not black, which is an indication of an orc. Classic telltale sign of not an orc. Yeah, and I love this little twist here because Adar had sent the evil Southlanders in first, and the wave that they had killed was all their own people, for the most part. There were some orcs, obviously. but Oh, yeah, and then they had the one orc that was half dying, half ali- alive, say, Ah, he took a little spill. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that, no, that's not what he said. He said, Oh, you think we'd give them up for nothing? They had to prove their point or something. They had to prove their worth. So these Southlanders just killed all their former kinsmen, basically, when they had charged there. That's why I said it was strange that they were fighting so well against the orcs but they actually weren't fighting orcs they were just fighting other men which made sense as to why they were winning them well there was obviously still orcs mixed in because the big guy was an orc and the first guy was an orc and there were dying orcs there so there was mixed in but yeah it was mostly um, mostly humans humans i think disguised as orcs yeah nice little trick from adar there yeah well played nice counterattack. yep and now the real counterattack begins because the true orc battalion starts firing arrows in they're picking off all the southlanders and one of the arrows finds its way in between bronwyn's chest cavity <laughs> like i think he gets her in the shoulder but yeah yeah he gets her yeah, right in the shoulder gets her right in the shoulder there and uh and but it's she, further she, down it looks almost mortal it's not like a typical shoulder yeah, it's through the shoulder blade i feel like like oh, yeah, maybe, maybe you're like right next to the clavicle and shoulder right in that area yeah, yeah, he got her pretty yeah. good, whoever got her. He got her pretty good. They probably should have, you know, for, you know, medical purposes, taken her top off. <laughs> probably. But they don't. They instead take her <laughs> into the tavern. They slow down everything here, and they, it's supposed to be a big dramatic moment, but I never felt personally attached to Bronwyn, and I also never felt like she was going to die here. No, no, I didn't either. Still a cool scene, but they, it didn't have the weight they were going for, I don't think. 
Now it was another MacGuffin. This this whole show's been full of a bunch of MacGuffins that are really weak, I feel like. So the MacGuffin that they give us is kind of like, all right, she got shot. She's not really going to die. We know that. But Theo and Arondir don't know that. And they know they have to stop the bleeding. And so here, Arondir uses the Alpharin seeds to pack her wound. I don't think that's what these things are meant for. No, it's just a handful of oatmeal. No, it's the seeds. He says the, it's the Alpharin seeds. No, that's bullshit. It's Look it up. Alpharin it's a, seeds. It's, it's just in the a dialogue. Hand, he says, a, give me the Alpharin seeds. He no, puts the just, Alpharin in there. No, the, I read the, the um, subtitles Sub- and it said, give me the Quaker Quick Oats. And let me let me heal her. <laughs> Get, give me the cocoa wheats. I gotta heal her. Yeah, <laughs> quick now. Sear the cocoa wheats. Seeds or oatmeal? I don't think this is how you're supposed to. No, stop, yeah, it was definitely bleeding. it was definitely the alfred seeds. <laughs> but yeah, so he grabs a handful of alfred seeds, puts up against her gushing blood, uh, which is pretty disgusting. And and then they take up some hot wood and sear her skin and burn it and, and uh, cauterize the wound. You mentioned to me before that you thought the extras in this scene were doing a really poor job. And I've seen some other scenes where the extras just don't seem realistic. Was this the scene you were referring to? Yeah, I didn't notice it upon rewatch. I didn't think about it as much. But I remember my initial watch, I, I remember looking at all the extras thinking, Nobody gave anybody direction here. They're just all staring at the main characters. You think they would all have their own shit going on and not just yeah, exactly. super like, focused on Bronwyn. The main characters shouldn't be their also main characters, really. I mean, I guess Bronwyn is kind of a leader for this group, but still, it's just like everybody in the entire hut, instead of tending their own sick and wounded and doing whatever they should be doing to like help stop this siege that's happening... Instead, they're all just turned, staring at Bronwyn, going, man, I hope these quick oats heal her. Yeah, all in all, I wasn't super impressed with the performance of the extras in all this season. I think they should bring back different ones next year. Thank God extras are usually only hired for one day. Yeah, these ones are bad. The ones in Numenor were the ones that stand that stood out to me. When they were listening to Farazan's speech, they were just, I don't know, they looked like extras. They didn't look like Numenorians. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, off topic a bit because the Southlanders are still fighting for their lives and now the orcs are right outside the door, but we leave them there and we see the Numenorians again and now they've made landfall and they are speeding toward the city to, the, to help the Southlanders with Galadriel in the front. I don't even know if they landed. I think they just all hopped on their horses on those big mighty three ships they had and just jumped straight off the edge of the ship and started swimming on their horses and just took off sprinting. Yeah, they were ready to go, man. Galadriel especially. She was rip-roaring. She's been waiting for this. Yeah, well, they had to have had horses because it would have been like the jog would have taken days. They showed up way late. I love this cavalry charge that they eventually get on these orcs anyway. Yeah, I like the actual cavalry charge. I'm not a fan of the logistics behind it, but yeah. Well, we've got a really brutal scene coming up here. Maybe the most brutal scene I can think of in a in a Tolkien adaptation. When the orcs start, they get inside and they start killing all the Southlanders, just running these swords right through their guts while they're standing there hostage. Like yeah. slow motion almost the way they run them through. Really brutal. Yeah, and it it's a little CGI'd, but it is definitely them just pulling knives up and sticking it straight through their bellies. 
Yeah, Adar gets there, and all the other orcs have everyone at knife point. And he says, tell me where the sword hilt is, or we're going to start killing people. Arondir refuses to tell. And so they just start running these guys right through. Like, they're looking them in the eyes, when they, and the orcs have such looks of delight. The most brutal death I can think of before this that's been picturized in, a, in a, the Lord of the Rings or this would be the extended cut of Saruman's death. Yeah, yeah, this is very Saruman's death-esque, actually. Yeah, or, which is not actually true to the story, but, like, it's pretty, pretty cool the way that he dies in the extended version, but not in the actual, in the original movie. But then also um, Boromir's death with the arrows is probably the most oh, brutal. Yeah. It's probably the most brutal death that I can think of before or after. Yeah, I would agree. Those are pretty. Denethor gets a pretty gruesome ending too. Well, it's not gruesome. It's pretty nasty when you think about it, but visually, it's not that gruesome. But this is visually gruesome and uh, kind of cool. I guess it's stuck in my mind as a very memorable scene here. So. You know how nasty the orcs are. If you're feeling any sympathy for the orcs, just know that they really take joy in this kind of behavior. So don't sympathize with the orcs. All's fair in love and war, you know. So these orcs are just doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's true. But they don't kill everybody. They're just about to kill Bronwyn when Theo speaks up and he says, wait a second, don't do it. I know where the sword hilt is. So we already talked about it. I don't know how he knew where it was, but he did know where it was. Yeah, sold him right out. And uh, I mean, it's the I right guess move, it's, man. It's to save his mother. It's the right move. And I, the thing I love is the the demeanor of Adar when he comes in, and he's he's just so logical and cold and calculated about the whole thing. He's like, "Why save their lives for such a small thing? Like, why sacrifice your own lives for such a small thing?" He just wants the key, you know? He wants the, the... The hilt. The hilt. The sword hilt. You know, why do we have to fight this whole war over this? Well, that's the point he's making, and it sounds like you're somewhat of an Adar sympathizer. Well, I mean, he just hasn't been wrong yet. Well, he's not wrong about the hilt being there, and he receives it from Theo. And just when you think the orcs have won, the Numenorians show up outside, and the cavalry charge begins... Pretty cool fight choreography here, I've got to say. Yeah, I really like Galadriel. Like, all of Galadriel's fight choreography and the stuff that she does is pretty awesome. Save for the first snow troll where she does the, like, badass slice and walk away without looking. But, like, in this scene, she's riding from a horse and somebody shoots an arrow and she ducks down side saddle like Legolas would do maybe or something like that where she hangs off the side of the horse and she dodges the arrow and then slices from the side. So her battle choreography is really cool, and, and that's another point for the show is their choreography in general. Battle fight choreography is, is good, I think. Yeah, and not, yet another point for the show is the fact that all these stunts are being done by stuntmen. There's no CGI on these horse stunts. They're all real stunts. Okay, cool. Nice, huh? Yeah. So the fight is on a somewhat smaller scale than most big battles we've seen, but I'm okay with that as long as they're building to bigger and bigger battle scene like this episode is very battle centric and i think it's the biggest of the season Uh, obviously it is so far and as long as they build on that and it gets to a bigger battle next season and next season i'm all right with this being such a small scale well that was the most refreshing part about this entire episode was that something fucking happened yeah shit started (laughs) to happen here like it was it was like 
This is episode six. Six, yeah. Episode six, and for five episodes, we've been talking about shit happening, and nothing's actually been happening. Episode six, something's actually happening. Battle's actually going on. I'm so starved and and, and depraved for excitement that this is going to do it for me. But the problem is, is we're already three-fourths the way through the entire season. We're three-fourths of the way through this season, but we're not even one-fifth of the way through the ultimate story. So That's true. If we're, hang- if we're hanging on for the long haul, they're building it just right. Uh, yeah, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but they are building it slowly. That's true. Interesting note here within the fight, Alindil falls off his horse, and it's Halbrand, actually, our old pockmarked buddy, rolls up and saves Alindil. Good old Halbrand, king Good of the Southlands. Is he growing on you at all yet, Halbrand? Um, I I don't think I ever disliked Halbrand. Oh, I, I've disliked him a lot, and I find that I'm liking him more as his face clears up. <laughs> as his skin gets better, so does your opinion of him. Yeah, he looks better, and he looks more kingly, and he looks deserving of being the lost king of the Southlands. Well, here. that's just materialistic. You're like him. You like him for only surface uh, potential. Hey, if you're a king, you got to play the part, man. That's true. Thank God he's here. The king of the Southlands is here, and now everybody there can be like, hey, the king of the Southlands is back. No, not yet. He hasn't had his coronation just yet. They're oh, still yeah, making they're, they're... their initial charge right now. Well, but, I mean, they've got to recognize their lost king, right? Uh, maybe. It depends on how long he's been lost. <laughs> That's true. How long has he been lost? I don't know. We don't know yet. Also, the new recruits there, that's Isildur, who seems to be like the queen's guardsman right now. He's up on a hillside with the queen at first and gets sent down alone. Unleash the stable boy. Unleash the the uh, bathroom cleaning man. You think that one of the orcs looked up and goes, oh, great, they have a stable boy. <laughs> oh, great, they have a cage troll. Yeah, it's exactly like that was that. Yeah, you think, because uh, she's like, she, the queen goes, go, and looks at him. Like, he's a st- he's literally a stable boy. <laughs> he I doesn't mean, even have a party with him. It's just as ill. It's just him. She just <laughs> unleashes him, and he's like, all right, uh, let's ride. Well, for his credit, though, he does look really cool in his armor and on that white horse riding down into battle. Yeah. Pretty awesome. And all the recruits that we know, that's him and his two buddies well here's the problem is that we know Isildur is a badass right uh yeah i mean we know he becomes one we don't know that exactly exactly we know that he becomes a badass they don't know that at all and she's just like you stable boy go I would say that it's the son of Elendil. of course he's destined for greatness but two episodes ago Muriel didn't even know who Alindo was. So yeah. I, I can't make that argument either, actually. Yeah, like she all of a sudden has great trust. I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's full. Like that's, oh man, oh man. I, can't, I don't want to unpack this all right now, but like that in a nutshell is a big portion of my issue with this show. All right. Well, I don't want to dwell on that though, because let's move on. We, yeah. we both enjoyed this episode for sure. And even yeah. this scene, despite having, there are flaws, but I enjoyed I don't know about you, but I definitely enjoyed this cavalry charge. Mm, yeah, this was my favorite episode so far. What I've been trying to say is all the recruits, including Isildur and his two buddies, are really having their way with the orcs. The uh, the handsome friend of Isildur, 
he's like laying dudes out left and right, man. I'm starting to uh, starting to like this guy. Oh yeah, bit. he's dangerous. He looks dangerous. He looks like he's going to be trouble later on. Mm-hmm. But they're all kicking ass, and Galadriel spots Arondir as being the only other elf in the battle. I love this scene for some reason. Just the fact that the two elves recognized and interacted with each other there. I don't know why, but I, I really like this. I mean, it, it makes sense. One leader talks to the other leader. The fact that they were both elves and they just had this chemistry together that would seem like an elven chemistry. To me. Well, the cool, th- the cool thing was he knows immediately who she is. She has no clue who he is. She says warrior or soldier, something like that. She knows he's an elf. He's not just a man. <laughs> yeah, no, she knows he's an elf. She doesn't know his name's Arondir. He knows her name is Galadriel, oh, command, yeah. well, commander of the Northern Armies. She's a famous elf. He's just an That's elf. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is like, it shows a reverence for Galadriel and shows how famous and lauded she is. Well, Arondir points her in the direction of Adar, who has taken the sword hilt and is now trying to escape. And this kicks off a little chase scene, a, a chase sequence mm-hmm. between Galadriel and Halbrand. And I really enjoyed this too. I love the music here and the visuals of them during the chase. And the fact that Galadriel whispers some elven magic into her horse's ear. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed the chase scene as well. And I think that it, it that they do a really nice shot of um, a really nice job of, of shooting it. Uh, she's over his shoulder chasing him, but it's kind of like slow motion and then we see Halbrand come from the corner and kind of head him off. And that's when they end up tackling him and knocking him off the horse. But I don't know what you mean by elves can do a lot of magic. I mean, they've got powers more than just men. I mean, they know? understand Middle Earth better than everybody. That's I don't know if it's magic, though. Like, they're not they're not my R. They're not. No, that's well. That's true. That's true. Yeah. They're just more elven. They're more I, in tuned with the truth of the world. So yeah, they can speak to a horse because they've been there for thousands of years and they know how a horse responds. Well, it ends up she didn't even need to talk to the horse because, as you mentioned, it's Halbrand that takes down Adar, and Halbrand is about to kill Adar there. But Galadriel prevents him from getting killed. And she says one of the worst lines in the show. This is the second time they've said it. One cannot satisfy thirst by drinking salt water or sea oh, water. Man, you ruined my worst lines. Oh, sorry. It's that bad. I felt, I felt the need <laughs> to say it now. Yeah, yeah. That's one of them, though. I mean, I, I get the, I get the um, symbolism of the line. Uh, but it doesn't really make sense in this situation. Yeah, the dialogue is the one thing in this that I, I think I like the show a little more than you, all in all. But the dialogue is the worst part of the show. I'll yeah, say the dialogue just leaves it's it's trying so hard to be poignant and symbolic and meaningful that it's 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 obvious that it's trying. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're trying and they're failing in my eyes. Yeah, it's too obvious that it's trying. It's not genuine. Well, speaking of not genuine. Adar and Halbrand have a very interesting scene here because one of them must be lying, right? Halbrand says he knows Adar, but Adar says he has no clue who Halbrand is. Well, I mean, Adar's probably killed a bunch of people, so. So you think Adar's just affected Halbrand's life majorly, but he didn't even remember it? It's just like a blip on the radar? Probably just a Tuesday for him. Possibly, but I feel like obviously the showrunners are setting up 
something more with this bit of dialogue. It was very interesting to me the first time because well, you yeah, know we, something's going to come up there. We know that uh, we know that he has a past history with with the, with Adar, right? Uh, no, we didn't know that until now. This is the first time they've interacted at all, or even known the other exists. No, well, um, Halbrand says that orcs were the ones that killed him, or not killed him, but it killed his... Uh, drove um, him from his home. Drove so. him from his home, yeah. Killed his family or whatever it was. It drove him from his home. So he says that orcs drove him from his home. And so we can assume that the Southlands were his home. That's where Adar's at, though. Like, they do have some past history. I guess, but he never specifically mentions Adar. He only mentions the orcs. No, but when he says, remember me... Obviously, he remembers him. Yeah, I was wondering about this because we've already speculated quite a few times that Halbrand was Sauron. But if that's the case, then why would Adar not recognize him or, you know, what's going on there? That's what was going through my head when I saw this the first time. Well, but in the old ancient, in the lore of Tolkien, Sauron can take many shapes and forms. Yeah. So if Halbrand is Sauron, then it may be a Sauron, but in a different form. Yep, and we'll get back a little bit more into the details of that mystery here coming up soon in the episode. But as we mentioned, there is obviously a mysterious history between the two of them. Yeah, because uh, Adar says no. <laughs> he just like, hey, do you remember me? No. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Sorry, He's like, sorry, pal. Not at all. I, hello, I'm Adar, <laughs> and you are. Awkward. How how brand? How brand? Okay, how brand? Yeah. No, off never brand. Never don't remember any off brands or how brands or Aragorn lights. Diet Aragorn. <laughs> so with the arrival of the Numenorians and the capture of Adar, the battle is seemingly won. As for Galadriel, she is now interrogating Adar. And we finally learn some more about the origins of Adar. And the fact of the matter is, is that he was one of the elves that was captured and tortured by Morgoth, a.k.a. Melkor. And he's now almost like a forefather of orcs, right? He's one of the, the twisted elves that became an orc. Yeah, they refer to him. She says, you're one of the Moriandor, which is never used in Tolkien's world. So this is a made-up thing that they've done. Um, the Moriandor, I think she's referring to, are the original uh, twisted elves that became orcs. Yeah, explain that really quickly. What's that, what's that about? So the backstory is that the elves that uh, early on Morgoth, or Melkor at the time, before he was even Morgoth, uh, was twisting and tormenting elves to create his own mockery race of people because he couldn't create he could only change and alter what was already there to fit his evil to incorporate his evil into he was not an original creator so she gives this name the moriander to to those original elves that were created and twisted and captured and tormented there is no actual original name in the tolkien universe so this is something that the amazons created but you know interesting enough well, the name is created, but the idea that some elves were captured and tormented is not. That's, that's a real Yeah, name. so Moriander translates in Sindarin to Sons of the Dark. I yeah, like yeah. that. That's so a that, neat, yeah, neat that's, addition. 
Very cool. Very cool. I dig, I dig it. I like it. Um, it sounds like something that T Tolkien would have invented. That's why I had to look it up and be like, wait a second, is this real? Like, cause it does, this is a good, a good addition. This is an example of a really good addition by Amazon in making that. Now he does also mention Uruk and uh, it becomes like <laughs> Uruk only bec becomes like his political correct term for orc. <laughs> um, there we do have the Uruk Hai, which were created by Saruman. And I think originally Uruk is maybe like a, a, a black speech for orc perhaps. There's actually surprisingly little that we know about orcs and orc lore and, you know, the lore of their people. So I'm all right with these additions, too. I'm, I'm cool with them calling themselves Uruk. Yeah, and even Tolkien has notes about contradicting his own words. So Tolkien went back and forth with the idea of were orcs twisted and, orig and like originally elves or were they something else entirely? So he never really set down a firm description of what actually happened with them other than his writings about them being twisted and and maimed by melkor which is what most of the tolkien universe kind of accepts is the truth one to add one thing to your your uh, brief summary of the twisting of these elves the elves started out in middle earth and they migrated over to valinor at first and some of them didn't make it they were captured by morgoth so there are, there are elves that have seen the light of the trees, elves that haven't, elves that were unwilling to go, called the Avari, elves that only made it to the coast. So there's all kinds of different brands of elves. And Moriander, it fits in with that. that it, were, there, were there any elves that were born in Valinor? I don't think, well, maybe they would have been born after the elves had migrated there, but they didn't raise up in Valinor. There were, there were none that were created in Valinor. Yeah, they weren't created in Valinor. So like there were there I know there was like maybe the Teleri were the ones that were specifically stayed in Valinor mostly the whole time, right? No. no not not the Teleri was the uh the ones that Galadriel's originally related to. They're the Sil I think they're the silver haired one. We don't know much about them because they stayed in Valinor once they got there. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they, they never did anything. That's what I was thinking. I was like, were they created in, in there so they weren't created in Valinor? I don't think. No, they went there and they stayed there forever. Yeah. The Teleri, they stayed on the shores and what eventually became the Noldor went to Valinor and then left it, which is why they were cursed. Yeah, they also went to the shores and did some damage to the Teleri there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another reason. That's a whole cursed. other story, which would have been awesome to have been included in this whole fucking billion dollar series, but whatever. But the fact that they included this, the fact that some of these migrating elves were captured and twisted by an enemy that's mm -hmm. only been talked about, never even shown on the screen. I, I like that nod. That was cool, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. All in all, it adds up to Adar being a very interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. Adar's got some great... <sighs> Man, I, like, I, I want to side with him. Especially, in, like, in this speech. We haven't talked about the speech yet, but... He's making a great case for elves or orcs, Uruks. I don't want to be politically incorrect with that. Uruks uh, deserve a place. He says they, we are also servants of the secret fire, which is a throwback to um, Gandalf's speech on the bridge of, of Khazad-dûm, which relates back to servants of the secret fire. The secret fire is the flame that ignites the earth from Eru Iluvatar, the main god. So... He says we're all a part of God, 
we belong here and belong and deserve to have homes just like you. And what's wrong about that? What's wrong about that to me is the orcs are just inherently evil and their actions are evil as we've seen time and time again throughout these episodes. So but we just established they're not inherently evil. They were twisted to evil. Yeah, their ancestors were, but at this point there's no redeeming them. And it's never been a thing or a theme in Tolkien's writing that the orcs are redeemable. So Yeah, so if that's kill, what he's saying, yeah, I don't so, like it. So kill all your children that have six fingers instead of five. That's what you're saying. No, kill the ones that are actively killing other creatures, <laughs> which is what orcs do. <laughs> These orcs are fighting for their homeland, okay? And I listen, one thing that's really surprising that I didn't know that we learn in this speech is that Galadriel is actually German. Go on. Go on. Give your spiel about how Galadriel's a Nazi. Or Galadriel's whatever. a straight-up Nazi. She says, I'm going to exterminate your race and make sure every one of them die, and I'm going to whisper in your ear, all your children are dead. You she can't is, tell me that's not fucking evil. She's a little cruel here, but I don't feel any sympathy for the orcs, and I don't think we're supposed to. We are definitely supposed to feel sympathy for the orcs, and it works. And she says, and then he says, oh, well, maybe you were hunting Sauron. You should have been looking in the mirror the whole time. Well, duh, that's the whole, t- the whole battle we've been talking about with Galadriel. He sums it up perfectly. He tells her a bunch of shit she doesn't want to hear, and naturally... The same thing she's been doing for thousands of years. She just blocks it out and goes on a fucking Uruk killing spree. Well, let's not bury the lead here because you just kind of glossed over it. Adar says here that he killed Sauron. You're welcome. What the hell? Adar has killed Sauron, huh? Yeah, exactly. This guy is not a bad dude. I'm telling you what, he's a good guy. He's misunderstood. He said he clove him in two and... He wondered why Galadriel was so surprised. He says, what, you thought an Uruk couldn't do what an elf could do or something like that? The elves have failed to do for thousands of years or whatever, yeah. That's a big drop there. That's a big surprise there. Someone has killed Sauron. He's not even, we've been speculating, but I guess he's already dead. Yeah, and as Tolkien Loris, we can speculate that Sauron uh, has the ability to die, and since he's Maiar, can come back. You know, so is uh, there's all types of potential. And obviously we've been playing around with who is Sauron. The whole show has been toying with us, just running around, um, dancing with like fake Groucho Marx mustaches going, I'm Sauron. <laughs> Twisty twister. Oh, no, I'm Sauron. <laughs> like it's a, it's a big like, you know, it's a big guess who game, you know, and it's it start it's. It's it's it feels to me like that's kind of what the show is building itself on, and that bothers me. I think that's what they were building the first season on. I'm, I don't think they'll go that direction later on. I mean, they can't just keep it up being a murder mystery. Who's yeah. Sauron? Eventually, the story will shift. That's that's my hope. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right about that. I hope you're right about that. I think this is another scene, though, along with the previous Halbrand and and Adar scene. I think this is another scene we're going to want to go back and watch maybe on repeat viewings and, and pick up more little details and things in the dialogue because it seems very important what's being said here. But I'm just saying, is this going to be thematic for the show? Are we going to see a spider in the window seal and then wonder if that's um, Ungoliant or, or uh, uh, Shiwab? I won't. 
No, I won't. You, anyway, you can, well, I'm just I guess, saying, if like, you want to. Will the I show won't. dangle that in front of us and make us wonder that? That's what I'm asking. Like, will the show use that and pry it for a purpose? If they dangle it well, if they dangle Shelob as a baby somewhere and I like it and it fits, then I'm, I'm not going to bitch about it. But I kind of hope they don't go that route, and I don't think they will. But as long as it's well done, it'll be all right. Yeah, the tricks up their sleeve got to be more than just tricks up their sleeve. You know what I mean? All right. Well, you're, again, looking at this way more negatively than me. I love this whole scene. This Adar talks about his past scene. Well, all, all jokes aside, or all my, my skepticism aside, I actually did really like this scene, particularly the conversation and back and forth between him and Galadriel. Yeah, the performance of Adar. You're, yeah, not that you needed to sell me on it, because I already liked it, but it, mm-hmm. you're, you're right. It's good. Oh, yeah. He, I, he does a really good job, I think, of selling this character and just uh, portraying to us a sensitive, hurt, in-between, evil, good guy. And speaking of sensitive and hurt, You've been begging for this all season long. And finally, we get to see a softer side of Galadriel as she sits down in the forest for a heart-to-heart with Halbrand. Ah, yeah. And she says that it doesn't matter what you did in your past, Halbrand. I forgive you because you fought beside me today. All is forgiven. I don't need to know what you used to do or what went wrong. Whatever you did, everything's good. And you almost get a romantic vibe from the two of them here. Yeah, she's pretty much like, your past is your past. You are who you are, but you can always change it. But I definitely need to know if those sores on your lips are herpes. Because <laughs> <laughs> we about to fuck. You got the vibe, too? It's not heavy-handed, I don't think, but there is a, a romantic there's, undertone. Yeah, there's some sexual tension happening, for sure. Well, they're two hot people. You know, it's, you're going to pick up on it. Anyone yeah, I mean, would. I want to see him have sex, but, I mean, only if he gets an STD test first. <laughs> oh, he's cleared up. He's looking pretty good now. <laughs> that sun, that Numenor sunshine will do it. It does it for you. But they don't get to bang or whatever they were going to do. She does forgive him. But they go back to town where Queen Muriel coronates Halbrand as the king. This is another really weak scene for me. Like it was, it was the dollar store version of Aragorn's coronation. It was just awful. I thought. Yeah, it was pretty weak. There was definitely no ceremonial anything happening. I mean, we're talking about a village with about five houses. So, to be honest, the king, you're the king of what? <laughs> Bronwyn says, "Are you the king that we've been looking for?" Halbrand says. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's like okay, I guess uh, whatever. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> and, and and then like three or four people in the crowd, led by Theo's corny ass, say, "The king in the Southlands." And a couple people just kind of mutter it, like it's like when the chant dies down at a baseball game, and you're the last person to say it. And it's it, yeah, it, that's what it felt like when they were cheering for. Let's Albert. go. Yeah. Never mind. Let's go. Let's go, team. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a scene where it should have been more fanfare. And I'm talking, and if you're talking about the return of the king here, you know, there should have been a you bow to no one. Wait a second, this is a Numenor, you bow on Middle Earth type of scene. You know what I'm talking about? Should have been some fanfare. And I don't think we got any of that. 
No, we got none of that. I didn't know if that was intentional or if they just skimped on the budget that day or something, but it, <laughs> it didn't feel like they delivered on this coronation. I didn't feel like Hal Brand was much different than he was 10 minutes before. I did not feel, let me just put it in simple terms to the storyline. I did not feel the Southlands were delivered. So the episode's winding down here, but we still have one more big twist coming up. Literally. Literally. Because Arondir is having a talk with Theo, and Theo's trying to get rid of his addiction problems. He's still addicted to that sword hilt. And and Arondir says... That's what happens when you start mainlining it into your veins. Yeah, you put it right in the vein. Next thing you know, you just can't get enough. And that's what Theo is trying to convey here. We didn't mention it, but they did get the hilt back from Adar. But somehow, Galadriel, Arondir, and now Arondir passes this bundle to Theo. Somehow, between all of them, no one opened it up to check and see what the sword hilt looked like. And when Theo finally does, it's not the sword hilt at all. It's the like a garden tool or something. The secret hatchet of Sauron. <laughs> so then who has the sword hilt? Oh, my God. Who has the sword hilt? It was a, it was a decoy all along. Yes. And, you know, upon rewatch, I actually saw Adar says to... Waldrick. Waldrick. He says to Waldrick, hey, I have a task for you. Yep, I saw it too when I rewatched it. I was like, wow, yeah. they, they actually covered that little okay, detail. Okay, it's, it's, it's covered minutely, but yeah. We don't see him hand it off or anything, but yeah, so guess what? That's a decoy, and what's that fucking farmer's name? Jesus Christ, Waldrick. Waldrick. So Waldrick has the fucking... Uh, the actual Sauron sword, he's used it before because we remember he showed Theo his scars, right? Yeah, and he even said, you have my hilt from down in my barn. I know you got it out of there. So he yeah. is the previous owner of the sword hilt. So cut to Waldrig just mainlining some Sauron sword right into the veins, and he's got the sword. It's fully formed and shifted into the... And it's actually a key, which we kind of learned, right? Yeah, no, we, we're learning it right now. No, yeah, we learned that. They said earlier he thinks it's a key of some sort. Maybe, okay. Yeah, so he puts it into up up in the uh, mountain where they, cr- where they dropped all the bricks on the orcs. He turns it in the key and ooh, it unleashes the whole dam upon the Southlands. Yes, yeah, here's what happens with that. He sticks the sword in, like you said. He twists it like it's a big key. And the entire mountain, starting with the dam, crumbles in, starts flooding everything. The floodwaters go into the tunnels that the orcs had been digging, which then leads down into the nearby mountain, which also is a volcano. And it's a volcano that we're all familiar with, the name of it being Mount Oridrin. Orodruin. It will take on a new name very soon. But it causes this volcano to erupt. And now the Southlanders that are celebrating their victory are basically turning into a, a new version of Pompeii, right? Yeah, they're just getting absolutely crushed by flying volcanic rock. And that's, that's like only half of it. Then next comes the smoke. And the, the whole eruption of Orodrum is just basically spreading ash and smoke and fire all throughout this land. And this is pretty ingenious. Like, I, I really like this. It is, because what's the purpose for the ash and smoke? Adar already alluded to it in a previous episode. 
Yeah, to block, and we know to block out the sun for the orcs or whatever. Yes, to uh, block the sun. Yeah, and that it does that, and also it just completely desolates the land and turns it into a deserted desert, um, like ash-covered, desolate land, which we know Mordor to be. Yeah, we know this. This is Southland, and it's about to become Mordor. And so I think this is a this is a really cool addition and adaptation to the uh, to the origin of how Mordor became Mordor. So that's that. This was really cool. This was probably the peak of the episode. The battle stuff was really fun and exciting, but this to me added to the element of it's like okay, let's take what we have in Tolkien's world, and instead of changing it, let's add to it. Visually, the scene was great, and I love that they gave Mordor an origin story. It's like something that they could do and explain without really breaking anything that we were accustomed to. And it, yeah. like you said, it is ingenious. I will say that. That's what I'm saying. It's like, don't change the story. Add to the story. And that's how they finish it is with this giant wave of ash. And there's a word for it. It's, it's very scientific. but it's Mol- uh, Molten lava? Well, it's not molten lava. It's it's the wave, the hot wave that comes with the lava or before the lava. And it's coming right at Galadriel. She just stands and takes it kind of with uh, a look of shock on her face. But I took this as everyone's going to die. And obviously we know Galadriel doesn't, but I don't see how anyone could survive this wave. You would think it would choke people and like they wouldn't be able to breathe. Galadriel just seems... Like, all of a sudden, she has this realization of what's going on. Everybody else seems in panic and scared, but she doesn't seem scared or in panic. She seems like she's realizing that this is a piece of the strategic puzzle. Yeah, she, it's almost like she realizes she has been outsmarted in, the, in yeah. a grand scheme that only she knows is going on. Yes. Uh, that's the episode. One more quick scene, though, we forgot to mention Alindil and Isildur have a talk right before this, and Alindil promises Isildur that he'll teach him how to speak with horses. So Alindil knows how to do that, and Isildur doesn't. Yeah, well, good thing we go back and touch on that. I just wanted to say that in case that mattered later on. Did the three of them share an apple? No, it was just uh, Alindil and Isildur. Okay, well, that's they should all all three shared an apple to unify that bond. But that is the end of the episode. Seemingly, everyone is dead, including Galadriel, as Oradruin erupts and uh, the Southlands are completely decimated. Covered in ash. Covered in ash. Very exciting finish here for me. And, and a great episode. Probably the best episode we've seen yeah. this far. I would agree. I would agree. It's the most exciting episode. There's plenty to pick apart and plenty of stuff that I'm not a huge fan of in, inside the episode. But this episode has really made me like kind of be like excited. You know, I'm excited about what's about to happen. I'm excited about what's going on. What would uh, what would um, Gil Gallad say? Hope. It's, it's like hope. There's no hope, hope is it, never meager. Hope is never meager. At this point, like I still have hope and it, it's rekindled a little bit of my hope for this show. Yeah, the way the previous episodes have gone, I wouldn't have been surprised if they spent this entire episode on the boat over to, you know, the Numenorean voyage over because it's been so slow. It's been that slow. But this episode really got things moving and it was action throughout. And it was the easily the most battle heavy episode. And they did a good job with that. So 
Mm-hmm. All in all, I was excited, intrigued, and they set things up to where I wanted more. Yeah, it's good stuff. And I mean, this is this is the this is the tumultuous relationship I feel like I'm going to have with this show is that it's not bad. It's just, man, I feel like it could be so much better. And not even within the context of like if they had the rights to the Silmarillion. Like I'm talking about if you hired better. Like if the whole show was run by Tolkien enthusiasts that understood, okay, you can't use this, you can't use that, you have to but like it could be so much better, I feel like. Uh, I don't agree, actually. I think we've overlooked a lot of things when we've watched this. Like, for instance, you pointed out how Adar gives the uh, the task to Waldrick. Well, there's another example. When we were complaining, how did uh, Halbrand get the Union Man's shield? I went back and watched that scene. It actually shows him pickpocket the shield. Yeah, he pulls it right off his shoulder. Just before he walks in the alley. And so we wondered, hey, how did he get away with it for so long? All those questions were actually answered, and we missed it. And I, feel We like- weren't wondering that. I saw him take it right off his shoulder. No, you went on a whole spiel about how you didn't like the scene because it didn't make sense. But they actually answered all the questions that you presented there. And the same thing with Waldrick. How did Waldrick get the sword hilt magically and live? They actually showed that. It's almost a throwaway scene, but they show Adar say, hey, Waldrick, I've got a task for you. So it's covered. I think they're doing that more than we're giving them credit for. And so I don't agree that they're doing as bad of a job as that you're saying. I mean, to me, it sounds like it sounds like, yes, they're focusing and getting those small things right within the story. Those things are insignificant to me, though. I want more of this, more of origin uh, Mordor, more of origin of each character and like build and grow within the confines that you have. Don't don't change things. Don't don't alter things. And I feel like sometimes they just do they don't do a real good job of of uh, uh up to this point what have they changed that's really bothered you? Um, man, I'd have to go back and look specifically, but there's certain things that, uh, just logistically don't make sense things, things that don't make sense. You know, it's not even within the timeline. It has more to do with the the storyline of these characters, like Isildur, his whole thing. Like this is Isildur's whole storyline is just unnecessary. Don't even bring him in until later. Like this whole first season, you could have clipped Isildur's storyline, which had nothing to do, like, what's his sister's name? Aarwen. Aarian. Aarian, right? Aarian. Who the fuck is she? Well, I've already said, I think they're setting them up. They're just getting us accustomed to them, but they're setting them up for the next couple of seasons. Yeah, but but what I'm talking about is, like, she's just an add-on that's not adding on. She's not adding on yet. Yet? Okay, all right, yet. time is yet to come, probably. And it Maybe. might be a great story. It's not. It's not even partially told, really. It's barely, yeah. barely even touched upon yet. So. Yeah. Okay. And how about Gilgalad giving, granting freedom for Galadriel to go into the Undying Lands? That I didn't like. That's one of the biggest things I That's didn't a like. Huge change into what actually goes down, and it's things like that that keep popping up. I mean, I, I if you want me to make a list, I can go through and make a list. Well, that's it's, one. It's I simple mean, it's... thing. It's simple things like that that are, are bothering us. Like we know we, we can assume that the, the stranger is probably a, a Maiar, a wizard of some sort. 
Like he or he's Sauron. We don't know yet. But the fact of the matter is, if he's a wizard, which is really what they're leaning towards with his whole appearance and everything that's going on, this is not an this is the whole story takes place before he even gets there. It's like not the age for him. So it's like you're changing something. That's a change that makes it better though, because I've enjoyed I've enjoyed Rocket Man and the Harfoots. And if they're not there yet, which we, you know, I agree, they're not there in the story yet from what we know. But if they're not, then we don't get them. So that's a well, change I like. I like that. And yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe you like that, but it's just like, it's, it's, it's altering, it's altering what's, what's already fine and good instead of adding to what's fine and good. And then constantly dangling these fruit in front of us. It's like, ooh, the stranger is either Gandalf or Sauron or ooh. Maybe Halbrand is Sauron, or ooh, maybe uh, Adar is Sauron. It's like dangling all these fruit in front of us. It's just like... That gives you something to talk about every week while you're waiting for the next show to come out. Like, you've got discussion points. It's not If, if we wanted just to go scene by scene from the book, we could all just read the book. It's an adaptation. Well, and we I, should all. We should all just read the book. We should all read the book. I agree. The book is beautiful. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Is is uh is Galadriel mentioned as the leader of any armies at, at ever at any point in Tolkien's work? She's mentioned as someone that fights against the evil on Earth. So, not an army as a general. Of an is army, she but... a leader of the Noldor or the the? It's like the whole story. The her whole storyline is. And granted, we've just been kind of taking it for granted and just going for like, well, this is what happens to her when we don't hear her name mentioned. But it's just like. Was she even ever that person? There's no evidence that she wasn't, right? I mean, <laughs> no. just because something <laughs> there's isn't no evidence, like... There's no evidence that she wasn't, but there's nothing that leads us to believe she was this great warrior of uh, elven history. Well, this is an instance where they're doing what you ask. You say to add to something that already exists. All we really know about Galadriel that's important right now is that she's banished to Middle-earth and she, she wants to fight against Sauron. She's always trying to vanquish evil over on middle earth so they gave her this role she's a she's a badass in this adaptation and i'm all right with it it's not like they're ruining galadriel by not having her be no the i only don't version I don't, we know of which is I like the lord of the rings version i don't think they're ruining it but it's like are they i mean, I mean what long, did galadriel do in the silmarillion as a character what did she do so galadriel was present in the silmarillion during the the no, no I know I know she was present, but did she do anything? Like does she does she do anything major? She doesn't. Not really. No. I mean, to, for as far as like specific actions, not until The Lord of the Rings. So that'd but be a pretty she, shitty book or a pretty she shitty specifically, movie. Yeah, she specifically is part of the Noldor that go and fight the Teleri in the first Kinslang, and she's significant in the fact that she doesn't she's banished from Valor because of that. And that gets changed. So, like, I mean, it, to me, it's just it's just like, yes, you have these characters. You have to make a story out of it. And you're adding you're trying you're you're adding to it. And that's fun. But there's just a lot of small details that are changing it. And it's it's like, had you run this by any if had you run this by me or you, we'd have had we'd have had alter. We would have been able to correct them. Yes correct yeah but could they make we've a already, show with the corrections we've yeah. already we've already mentioned multiple times things that we would change or things that don't match up and don't align correctly right 
Yeah, but you can't have it all is my point. You can't have the timeline. You can't have all these details and make a good TV show out of it, especially not without the rights to all that content. I mean, they're doing something that they've only got little bits and pieces and they're giving us their best shot, it seems like. So it's like uh, it's we've already established it's not they're going to change things. That's yeah. A fact. Yeah. So you're using that as an excuse for why it's not what it should be. I'm using that for a, like it's just not what it should be, you know? Well, I mentioned this to you earlier, and I'll mention it now. Lord of the Rings, I've said multiple times over my life, it's my favorite movie on Earth, right? Favorite Mm -hmm. movie trilogy. I love the books, too, and they're vastly different. They make big changes in the books. They change character arcs. They change character motivations. They change entire They change change entire characters at times. I mean, you talk about Glorfindel rescues Frodo as opposed to Arwen. Right, but we love that still, and despite the fact that it's different. So, well, I, I don't exactly love that, but it doesn't seem to distract as much from the original intent as it, as this seems to do. I mean, you love the movies, is what I'm saying, right? Like sure, the best, sure. The best out there, the best there is. Sure, this it's it's also one of my favorite movies of all time, easily probably top one. <laughs> yeah. So my point is, we're giving it leeway, despite the changes and, and the liberties they took. They felt they had to take. They do make some sense, and maybe these ones will make more sense when it's all said and done. Yeah, but the, but 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 my argument is that those um, changes take place specifically and poignantly, and follow Tolkien's words much more and Tolkien's intent much more. This almost follows like it's like a it's like a playing a game of telephone. It's like it 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 calls back more Jackson than it does Tolkien. At times, I don't even agree with that. No, I, they give enough nods to specific writing things that you wouldn't see in any Jackson film. Like, yeah, but oh. they give they give nods to, and I don't have specific examples, so don't ask for this, but I can't find them of nods back to Tolkien that are not nods to, or nods back to Jackson that are not nods to Tolkien. Yeah, well, we actually talked about a couple lines of dialogue specifically yeah. that, that do that. And it's like you're. But now... I like those. That's what's wrong with that. They're all right. Well, it's like watering it down even more. You know what I mean? Like it's like a third hand. You're paying homage to something that you just said was maybe also wrong. Wrong is not the issue, though, for me. It's a chance to get back into the world. You know, either you can be mad about it not being what you want it to be, or you can take it for what it is. Listen, and, I, and I've I, chosen to do this the second here. I've I've done a 180 now, and I'm I compl- think it's getting a lot better. I'm happy that they're that they're in the world that I love and know, and I enjoy it for that. But it's like if you were to say to me, "You should love your neighbor and and be kind to everybody else," uh, and that the rich could never enter heaven except it's harder for the rich to enter through the eye of a needle than uh, something that, you know, like I'm talking about quoting Jesus, right? So where I'm talking about like real world, if you were to quote Jesus to me and then tell me that it was Muhammad who said that. Uh, do you get, you get what I'm saying though? No, I, yeah, I normally do. I, you lost me on that one. <laughs> like it's, it's like, it's like, it's, <laughs> It's like it's double watering it down. That's all I'm saying is it's double watering down the story. And yeah, those, those specific references are. They do make Jackson references, but they also make Tolkien references is my point. 
Yeah, they do. But it, it just feels to me like there's almost as much like they're paying more hom- homage to uh, pop culture to uh, Jackson than they are Tolkien. And well, the writer should be the one. The writer is the, the creator of this universe. Tolkien gave us all this universe. You have to try to bring out his intent. You, you can't like to do to, to add to or to change his words are to bastardize what he was originally intending to, to be done and the story he was originally being told. It's like maybe, you know, me or you sat down and we're like, you know what, I'm going to write The Tempest, but I'm going to write The Tempest in complete, like, however I want to fucking write it. Well, it's like, great. You're going to have a, probably a pretty entertaining story because The Tempest is an entertaining story, but it's just not going to nail the intent of the writer and who tried to, to, to originally, and it's not going to originally, it's not going to, it's not going to pay the a proper tribute to originally who put it down. Listen, adaptations do nothing but draw attention to the original content. And there have been plenty of versions of, of Shakespeare's works that are completely different. They're still paying homage and knowledge is gained from the audience. Now you might want to go back and read Lord of the Rings because of this show and be the one to pick out these differences. So my point ultimately is it's really all about the way you choose to look at it in your mindset. As with most things in life, if you look at it positively, they give you plenty of reason to be positive. And if you want to look at it negatively, there's also plenty of reason to do that. So why not be on the right side? You know, why not be on the positive, hopeful side? Well, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I like that's the best sentiment you've put forward for the whole thing. But also, you can't be overly positive about something if it's not giving you what you feel like you should be getting. That's well, that's, you know, that like comes I with expectations. I can't that's, sit that's here. I can't sit here and be like, put a positive spin on the Holocaust. No, but you you can put a positive spin on it by saying that it ended. <laughs> yeah, but at least it's over. Well, only two more episodes and at least this thing's over. But <laughs> <laughs> I have enjoyed it. I'm and I, I do side with you. I do understand what you're saying and I and I enjoy what you're saying and I'm glad that, that you're enjoying it for what it is. But to me, the untapped potential of this show is vast and it's like it's not just on Amazon. It's on Tolkien's estate. Give us the right to the Silmarillion. Let yeah, somebody make the fucking those Silmarillion. Rights. Yeah, come up those fucking, rights. Get off your high horse. Let somebody make the Silmarillion. Could you imagine how hard it would be to make the Silmarillion, though? It, you'd have it to wouldn't have be. So it wouldn't many be. Would, actors. It's all fucking there. You it like look. Black Mirror does it. Every uh, lots of shows do it now, where it's episodic, continuing different actors and different story. Like the, the Silmarillion is, is like mildly a full arc of a story. It's mostly episodic stories. You could do that in modern television very easily, especially with 1 billion fucking dollars. You could do the great tales of the Silmarillion, but I don't think you could really get the detailed stuff. Like uh, we would you have a whole season of, of Iluvatar creating the Valar and then keep creating Arda. Like, it's really cool on the written page, 
I can't imagine that would go over really well on TV, though. Just watching no, them create well, universe I mean, forever. Yeah, I mean that would be cool. Like with the uh, with the um, computer generated stuff that they have the money for. In yeah, this but one? that's like four chapters of the book. They're going to take the whole season to do that if they have if they really made it episodic. Yeah, well, you don't start out with that. You sprinkle that into the seasons, but it's still like there's just the, the the stories are so good and they're already there and it's just like i just want those stories that's all i just want yeah, those stories i agree i love those stories but i'm never gonna hope for those stories to be what i want not because from this i don't show. think not from this show or from any show i don't i just don't think it's possible if they made a silmarillion tv show and they tried to base it off the book they had all the rights i still think they would disappoint people and like you had a billion dollars why not hire some good actors I'd These like... actors are all unknown actors that are have basically have no, like they're not really that good. Like there's some that are doing decent jobs at their performance, but these are not like world renowned actors. These are like B C list actors. I, I like that. I like that aspect too. It, you, sure. You cast unknowns. You, this is where you make your name, kind of like they're... Game of Thrones. All right. I mean, I guess that's true. Give give them all a shot. But man, right now I'm just not finding anybody that really stands out. All right. Well, we'll break down the acting at the end with the award show. We will give grades and, and such. But for now, we do need to wrap up this episode. It put me in a position where I'm feeling good going forward. Better than you, obviously, as we've No, I'm about. feeling good, too. Like, I like this episode, but it's just I can't not be hypercritical of it because I, I want like, like this episode was the most exciting episode yet. And it, it excites me for what's to come. And I, I am enjoying the show. I don't want that to be, I don't want that to be misconstrued because I'm enjoying the show. I just wish there was more direct intent going on. I feel like it's a scattergun, a shotgun shot of, of Tolkien-esque stuff being sprayed at us. And it's hitting us in the face and in the body and everywhere, like in a shotgun, in a birdshot manner, you know, and it's not directed into a story it's just too it's too spread apart it's too um well, you got to give it time it's like i said we're not it's even, like it's like it's 20 percent of the way through yet it's like it's trying to please everyone at once and they're pleasing no one at once you know what i mean uh yeah that's your, like they're trying they're to pleasing please. me though so i can't fully agree but yeah they, well yeah but but you you know what i'm trying to say like they're trying to please the tolkien loris they're trying to please the casual watchers and they're trying to please the un the the watchers that have no frame of reference yeah and so it's it's just like they're trying to do all three of those at once and it's kind of hitting nobody so that's that's one of my issues with it all right well i point taken i understand that but my my ultimate point is let's just let it play out you know that's it's only the first couple of chapters of what's going to be a really long story so you're right you're right you're right let it play out and see how it goes Hey, uh, I'm having a great time. I don't know what the fuck you mean. You seem absolutely miserable. Reviewing yeah, I'm having a show. great fucking time. It's fucking great. It's fucking really good show and it's fucking awesome. Yep. Yeah, maybe uh, we'll come around. I will say, though, one last point to your point is there is a very certain and specific feeling or vibe, you could say, that Lord of the Rings gives me. And I've yet to get that from this show. I will say that. Yeah. Through six yeah. episodes, I haven't got that Lord of the Rings feeling just yet. Yeah, yeah. And it and to me, it's 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 uh, man, I want I want more Lord of the Rings feeling. I'm getting more 
Game of Thrones feeling. Well, that's that's a good feeling too. I like Game of Thrones too, but that's not I don't what dis- we're looking for. I don't dislike Game of Thrones, but that's not what I'm looking for. Agreed. So we will be looking for another episode next week. That'll be episode seven before we return for the big finale. Hopefully it uh, turns things around for you and, and for me too, because we are 75% of the way done here. And, better, uh, better pay off. There, yeah, better be, there better be a fucking huge cum shot at the end of this. Yeah. Let's get that cum. Let's get that money <laughs> shot, please. Hello, ladies. And we will be providing some money shots for you all next week. <laughs> <laughs> the big Valvinas. I was making a wrestling reference there. What were you uh, making? I got it. Yeah, I was too. Money. The shot. big Valvinas. Yeah, the big Valboski. No, the big Valvinas. Valvinas, the big Valboski. Oh. Yeah. Know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> check out our OnlyFans for the money shots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else to add about episode six of the Rings of Power? Well, this is actually going to destroy all of them, but yes. It's not just Rings of Power, but it's also Lord of the Rings and everything else we know. Uh, in in Tolkien's world, did he ever mention that elves had pointy ears? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Th- he, he's not, not really <laughs> big on descriptions like that. He usually just that's talks what I'm about saying. Their hair and their height, and that's, that's it. what I'm saying. Like, how did elves get pointy ears? All these every show of everything they've ever done. You, you think about the weirdest things. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? They, they have pointy ears. The dwarves are well, all Scottish. But why? Like, consistency. Why? That's why. It, otherwise, why? they look just like men. Why are the dwarves Scottish? Why do they all have Scottish accent? And this is from uh, The Hobbit and also this yeah. one. Yeah, dwarves and are Scottish. And why have pointy do elves ears. have pointy ears? And not just now, but like always in the past. Listen, the guy worked on this literally his entire life. And you want more. I mean, come on. He did the best he could. We don't know why the dwarves have pointy I'm ears. I'm just trying to improve upon uh, the interpretation of his work. He never said anything about pointy ears, man. It doesn't matter. That's the, the point is, in an adaptation, you have to be able to distinguish easily and quickly who's what, and pointy ears do that. Well, I guess this is going to blow your mind, too. That didn't blow my mind. If no, that's what that, blew your, that blew your mind. Now, now guess what? What? He never mentions Hobbit having big feet. Oh, my God. You already brought this up in a past episode. What the fuck? Oh, I already said that? Yes. You already did this whole bit. Oh, man. Well, never mind. Just stop there and then cut it off there somewhere. Yeah, just stop already. But he never mentioned that they have bigger feet. I mean, you got to admit that. I don't remember him. There's no pointy ears. There's no big feet. You're all fools. No, it doesn't make anyone fools. It's just no, he yeah. leaves that up to your imagination, and we all no, agree that yeah, that's well, a good imagination of what these yeah, things look like. Maybe you follow blindly Hollywood's interpretation of elves and what do you uh, want hobbits. them? What do you want them to look like? Well, just they just have hairy feet. They all. Just it does mention hairy feet. Okay. Well, what do you want the elves to look like? Just like men? Well, just not with pointy ears. I mean, there's not no pointy ears. Why have pointy ears? Who well, they have pointy ears? They have better hearing, I guess. They should have pointy eyes too. So they have better eyesight. As so well. they're so you're saying that most of the elves are uh, they have pointy eyes too. I'm saying they should because that would indicate why their eyesight is so much better, and their hearing is better because they have pointy ears. Yeah, I guess. So if I had my ears altered to be pointier, they would hear better. I assume so. I don't know. Again, 
I don't think about this at all, ever. Like, I love the world of Tolkien and never spend well, time picking apart why the Elf are pointy ears. Maybe you should think a little deeper into the Tolkien world. No, right? I like to think about you. enjoyable, fun things, not things that potentially make the world lesser. I don't, Listen, you're I don't Tolkien, want the world you're, to be less. Your Tolkien life is a lie, and I'm just fucking exposing it to you, okay? No, my Tolkien life is very rich, very glorious. <laughs> and, and we've already established that yeah. you... We've already you and Jeff Bezos both. Please let me get this point out because you don't want to hear it. But we've already established that you get all your Tolkien knowledge from YouTube and Wikipedia. Ooh, <laughs> ouch! Oh God! Imagine Wikipedia. Imagine such beautiful words written down, and you get on there and hear some dude in his mom's basement reading about it instead of just reading the books what the hell are you talking oh, about so i've sad. read all of these books multiple times way more than you you're fucking following on my coattails all right oh my god bill I the guarantee pony. bill the I've pony read all these books more than okay you. bill the pony okay oh, bill the pony on me. youtube you're the following on YouTube me every day listening. you're following me you watch that youtube channel hey, only you watch as I much as i do and I only never, because i introduced you to it i never watch youtube never watch youtube you're hate a YouTube. fucking liar i hate you're a YouTube. fucking liar and you i never follow... watch youtube you know Listen. what youtube does you know what youtube does it strangles independent thought. And you haven't had an original Tolkien thought since we started the whole thing. <laughs> you just just vomit out whatever Wikipedia and YouTube tells you. Oh, my God. What does Man. the Rings of Nerd or the Nerds of Power tell you to think about Rings of Power? That's a really good YouTube channel. You should, like, like that just goes to show you won't listen to people that know more than you. They don't know like, more than I've me. I don't want them to you, tarnish I've my opinions you to, like they I've introduced you yours. to multiple people. Like, if a, if a math teacher, like, you're like the person that's like, I know more science than the scientists. Okay. No, ultimately, like this up, is about like, enjoyment. Just, just fucking learn. Okay. Just all learn right, a little. All right. Up. This is getting settled. In addition to the award show, we are going to have a, a trivia, fist a trivia fist fight. That's right. And we're going to prove once and for <laughs> no, all. No, we're not doing a trivia. Told, oh, you're we're not doing right. a trivia fist fight because you remember names and dates and oh, shit more specifically. We're not going to do trivia because you're going to win because you're better because you have a more vast Tolkien knowledge than me, and that's Listen, a chance to prove it. That's just because of my more. I've been doing it for longer. I mean, you no, only you, you, you only got onto Tolkien because I introduced it to wrong, you. Wrong, wrong. You're welcome. Wrong. You're welcome. Not even remotely true. You're welcome. I read like, The Hobbit when you were still running around the woods naked. I performed in The Hobbit. That was the first fucking play I ever oh, did. Oh, okay? how old were you? It was before you were born. Yeah, you were 16 years old. Thank you. There you go. You didn't read The Fucking Hobbit. I you read The Hobbit. Be Somebody read before the Hobbit I was seven years old, I read The Hobbit. Yeah, well, I've read The Silmarillion more times than you fucking... No, you haven't. More times than you fucking woken up in the morning. How many I, times have you read it out loud? All of them. Zero. Thank all you. Of them. You lose, all right? Listen, Listen. Can, can we end this fucking show? We can end this show when I pull your shirt over your head and beat you like a fucking hockey player. <laughs> All right, let it be so then. Let it be uh, known. This mm -hmm. is not over. This is not over. No, episode got... six. Hey, we can agree. Episode six was pretty good, though. It was pretty good. It's, uh, it's not quite in the books, but I'm really trying to get there. But we've been brewing up some some heated arguments and it's going to come mm -hmm. to a head soon i think it's going to pop like a odruin 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 a rodruin a rodruin yep it is going to pop
And speaking of popping, let's pop on out of here with a Hail Morgoth. Hail Morgoth. All right. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us argue about Lord of the Rings and the Rings of Power. We will see you next week. Bye-bye, y'all. You son of a bitch. You fuck you. Don't you ever try to out-Tolkien me and then not try to step into it. Listen, don't you dare not give me the fucking uh, recognition I deserve for getting back into the Tolkien world. You get no credit for that. You would have never got back into this world if we had Rotten tomatoes when you've got the rancid tacos. This podcast is brought to you by West Virginia Pepperoni Rolls. <laughs>